Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right, I'm so glad that you're joining me today, and I'm excited about getting into this as we continue our walk through the book of Acts. We're getting God's Word into our lives so we can get out of our lives into the world around us. Be sure to uh, let people know that you are here with us, and be sure to interact also in the comments, and uh, we're going to have a great time today. Unfortunately, it is this this passage or this part of, of Acts. I mean, we are talking about some tough stuff. We're talking about some difficult things, and, and I thought we would start today not by talking about the um, ancient past, but talk about what's happening right now in our world, even this week. So there was an article that was released by the uh, Morning Star News that um, that is talking about something that happened in Nigeria or this happening in Nigeria right now. And the thing is, you know, we, we get all wrapped up in certain news stories, things that happen in different parts of the world. And yet at the same time, sometimes it seems so distant. You know, it seems like it's so far away or so foreign to us. But I want you to understand that um, right now, the current time in history, in the history of the world, is the period of time that we are experiencing the very worst persecution of Christians in history is happening today. And I saw this headline from yesterday that says this, Radical Fulani kill over 150 Christians, three pastors among the slain, in the spate of attacks. And so yes, this is heavy news. But and, and there's some there's some weeds that I want us to get into, but I think you can follow along and you can hear what's happening in our world and um it hits kind of close to home. Uh, but what happened was in the first three weeks of June we've seen these uh Fulani terrorists in Nigeria who've killed more than 150 Christians in targeted attacks, including including a pastor. What happened was uh, the pastor is Reverend Nicodemus Kim of the Church of Christ in Nations in Barkin Lottie County on June 11th. I'm talking right now, brought to three the number of pastors who have been slain in recent attacks. And what they said, here's a quote, conservatively in the last three weeks. Conservatively, okay, meaning probably more than this. We have buried not less than 150 people in Mongu local government area. And he said, and this is aside from not less than 30,000 people scattered in various internally displaced person camps that we're having to deal with now. And notice that word scattered, because when we get into our text in Acts chapter 8, same word, 
the word scattered for what's happening to Christians. Uh, residents of Mangu, Barkinlati, and Ryome counties said the terrorists destroyed dozens of houses belonging to Christians, along with a church building, in just the first three weeks of this month, of the summer. Fulani terrorists on June 20th attacked these three counties, killing 15 people in the predominantly Christian communities there. And they said this, the attackers of our villages are Muslims who are Fulani herdsmen. They attacked our villages while we were sleeping in the middle of the night. At about 11 p.m., the herdsmen burned down our houses, including a church worship building and the offices of the, the church. Some of the Christian victims were burned alive in their houses as the herdsmen set fire to their houses. All I can say is that war has been declared on Christians in Mangu, they said. The terrorists are just attacking and killing Christians in most of the communities. The attack started uh, in the Boy community and then spread to Mangu Town and other areas. Christians here really need help. They need our prayers for sure. Um, and check this out. On June 20th, herdsmen ambushed and killed six Christians as mourners transported the corpse of an accident victim to their village for burial. It's interesting because when we get into this, these four verses we're looking at today, something very similar happens, okay? Um, there was an accident involving a Christian villager from our village. Some members of our community had gone to bring the corpse of the victim back to the village for burial when armed Muslim Fulanis ambushed them, six of them were killed during the ambush while they're trying to bury their friend and their neighbor. Um, on June 18th, herdsmen killed 20 people in the predominantly Christian villages, uh, while two others were killed, uh, area residents said. And then um, 13 Christians here again killed in another attack, 21 Christians in another attack, uh, were killed and several others injured on Sunday, June 11th during coordinated attacks by Fulani militias on residents. Okay? Uh, two Christians were killed in Rim Village, seven were killed in Jaw, and 11 were killed in Kui, besides the killing of Pastor Kim. The attacks were simultaneously coordinated by the terrorists between the hours of 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. Uh, an entire community was completely burned down and over 100 farmlands destroyed. This is happening now, today. It's a great concern these communities have come under attacks. Um, now check this out. Here's the, the data. Nigeria led the world in Christians killed for their faith in 2022 with 5,014. 5,014 Christians killed in Nigeria alone. It also led the world in Christians abducted, sexually assaulted or harassed, forcibly married, physically or mentally abused. It had the most homes and businesses attacked for faith-based reasons. Um, so this year has also seen the violence spill over into the Christian majority south of the nation. And check it out. Here I think this is really important. Nigeria's government continues to deny that this is religious persecution. So violations of Christians' rights are carried out with impunity. Um, and so this is what's happening. I just want us to get an idea 
because this is happening in our world today. It's just one country, one example. We're also seeing examples of persecution here closer to home. And if things don't change, then it's going to grow more and more intense. And now we're going to flip back into Acts chapter 8. Um, and we're looking, we're looking at um, what happened after Stephen, the first Christian martyr uh, who was killed for his faith, he preached this powerful message to Israel as his closing statement, sort of his defense, which wasn't a defense. It was really an offense to the people because it was God's final appeal to them, to their hearts. And if the people rejected the message this time, God then would turn to others to root and to, to establish his church. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, the response of the people was they killed Stephen they launched a terrible um, campaign of persecution against the church, trying to completely wipe out and destroy and stop the church. But, but God, which is what happens so often, but God overruled their actions. He used and leveraged the persecution to spread the the church and scatter the church all over the world, just like Jesus said in Acts 1 8, when he said, You will be my witnesses in Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter parts of the earth. Now, everyone everywhere would hear the life changing message of Jesus because, in large part, due to the persecution, what was meant to stop the church instead, instead fired up the church motivated the church to be even more intense in sharing the message. Stephen, when it comes to both his message and his murder, his martyrdom, martyrdom began, started a, a spark that, that fanned into flame what God would use to launch this great movement of the gospel around the world. And the believers were scattered because of this great persecution. And I want us to first notice that it was Paul, it was Saul um, who led this furious persecution against the church. And so it says here, and Saul approved of their killing him. Okay, he was in favor of it. He was for it. He was promoting it. He goes on and says in that first verse, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So this persecution was led by a provoked person. This is Saul of Tarsus, and Saul was totally in favor of it, and he was happy that Stephen was dead. He approved. There had been this fiery fury that had been growing against the church because Paul or Saul felt like preaching Christ threatened his own beliefs, his own religion. In fact, Saul was the main leader who was persecuting the church, and he was the one who was raging and reacting more than anyone else against the church. He was a leader among the professional religious leaders of his day. And he said this later on after his conversion, after he found Christ or Christ found him in Philippians 3, 4. He said, though I have 
reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he gives his credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he was trying to hold on to his religion. He was trying to wipe out the church, and he was proud of what he was doing. He was leading the way on this persecution. And so they launched this persecution as soon as Stephen died that very first day. Saul said, we're going to strike first. We're going to strike hard. We're going to wipe out the church. And the believers were afraid. They were on the run. And he um, knew that he had to strike them. He had to find them and get them before they could get away. Now, this persecution was aggressive. It was violent. It says a great persecution. Um, He was hunting down believers. Others were hunting down believers in order to wipe out the church. The church, it says, was all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Just like what I read in that previous story, the scattering of believers and the the apostles, the disciples, they stayed behind. The disciples, why did they stay behind? Well, they had some favor. They the, the religious leaders were kind of afraid of doing something to them because uh, they were afraid of an uprising among the people. And then also, these apostles, these disciples, they were men of courage. And they had learned how important it is to wait on God and on his instructions, waiting until God told them what was next. And and these apostles, if they had run away, then there wouldn't have been a stable leader holding that Jerusalem church together. And at the time, that was the church. That was the only church there in Jerusalem. And so even though believers were scattered all over the world, they needed to be able to look back to a place and to a people that, um, that they could look to, the church in Jerusalem. And without them, they really would not know where to turn or where to go for help. And so um, the courageous leaders, the courageous disciples, and, and this is opposite of who they had been just you know days before, weeks before, when they were hiding out themselves. Now they stayed. And listen, even though the church, the Christians were scattered and they were spread out among all this this region and this area and the different parts of the earth, they were still the church. God knows those that belong to him. That's what 2 Timothy 2.10 says, the Lord knows those who are his, he holds on to them, and that's what he was doing even as they were spread out. Um, But then second, check this out, this second verse, verse two, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. These godly men must have been some of Stephen's friends, and they cared about him, and they were very sad about his death, and they mourned for him. But as they were burying Stephen, that was another witness, another way to give God glory, because he was honored publicly for his life and for his death, because he died courageously. He died a hero's death. And then in verse 3, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Okay, He was no discriminator of persons here. He wasn't discriminating between men and women. 
He said they've all got to go because he was trying to completely wipe out and destroy the church. This picture of destroying the church is like a picture of a wild animal that was trying to just tear apart uh, its prey. And the, the verb that he began to destroy the church is a verb of continuous action that he started and he kept on and he kept on and he kept on trying to destroy the church. What was he doing? He was raiding into the homes of believers. He was busting open the doors, looking for every Christian in the house. And he arrested everyone that he found. He, he beat them down. He dragged them out. He used brute force to arrest them and to defeat them and drag them from their homes through the city streets, both men and women. And you got to understand, in this time, women weren't even considered to be important or significant. But Paul was so set on completely wiping out every part of the church that he went after the women too. And that was something that later on, as you see, um, that, that he dealt with, that he was something he couldn't forget, that he was sorry for. But if you look in like Acts 22.4, you'll see that. But he found a lot of believers. He stormed every synagogue. He punished the Christians who were there. <clears throat> he tried to, to force them to, um, to deny the name of Jesus and even chasing them into other cities as he pursued them. He personally was responsible for bringing many people to their death, many Christians, and he gave the voice of approval for the death of many others. Now, I'm describing him as a murderous, raging, savage person. And at that time he was. But in Saul's life, we're going to see the fullness, see God's mercy and his grace in his life because we know already where this is going. If you don't know, you know, Saul becomes Paul. We're going to look at his transformation. But it tells us, because we're at this point looking at his past, how bad he was and yet how God used him. God forgave him. God transformed his life. And it just reminds us that there is hope and there's forgiveness and even purpose and ministry that's available to us no matter what your past is. If you turn from your sin and you surrender your life to God, he wants to use you like he did Saul. And you can follow him. You can obey him. What Paul said is his testimony in 1 Timothy 1.12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. No one is too far gone. No one is too far gone for, for God to save and redeem and change and use and 
you know, Paul calls himself the worst of sinners, and yes, he was a terrible, evil sinner. But if we're honest, all of us could say, I'm the worst of sinners. I, I know my own heart. I know the darkness in my heart. And I know that I don't deserve what God gives to me on my very best day. But thanks be to God that he would save me, that he would forgive me, and that he would somehow choose to use me. I hope you can think that today and you can say that today. And then in verse 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay, who was preaching the word? The ones who were scattered. Where were they preaching it? Everywhere they went. They were scattered everywhere. You picture seed that's being just thrown into the wind and it was scattered across a field. God was using the very evil in our world, the thing that was meant to stop God's church at its very infancy. God was using it to spread his followers out and spread his message out all over the world. You know, some of us want to go to places where it's more comfortable, but God says, I want you to go um, where you have opportunity to share my love and my message and my gospel, my good news. And when the, they were running, they still weren't hiding. They weren't hiding out in secrecy. They weren't keeping silent. Instead, they preached the word of God every place they went. They were boldly speaking up, talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what he can do in people's lives. And, and I want you to understand that God's message is not primarily spread through professional Christians, professional pastors. Okay, He uses each and every Christian, and all of us should be available and ready and prepared to share the, the good news of Jesus. What does Jesus, what has Jesus done? What does he want to do? And so that means you, you've got to be ready to speak up at any time, at any place, looking for opportunities. People are more ready to hear than we are ready to share. That means you got to get into God's word and you got to get to know God's truth and his message so that you can share it. You feel confident and comfortable um, in sharing the, the, the truth of the word of God. Okay, and that's a responsibility that that we have. The believers who were preaching and who had were scattering out the word, they were just regular people, regular Christians, um, just just like all of us who are, who are listening today. And and that was a pattern, not just for then, but that's the way it happens today. Most preaching, which is proclaiming the word of God, sharing the truth of God, and witnessing. Uh, and reaching out, it's done by normal everyday Christians. And that's a job for everyone, that wherever your job takes you, wherever you travel, wherever you go, whatever your circumstances are, um, that's where you share. That's where you're called to share. And I believe it's no accident. The places that you go, God places people in your path. And Jesus said it this way in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is with you. You're not alone. Um, he says, therefore, go. And that go is as you go. As you go about your ordinary everyday life, wherever you go, make disciples. It starts with sharing the good news of Jesus 
and it continues by helping people grow. And if you think about it, you know, if you believe it, you can't help but speak about it. You can't help but talk about it. You can't help but live it out because what we believe is is what how we live is based on what we believe. They're connected in in a way that cannot be separated. If you're not living it, you don't really believe it. And so 2 Corinthians 4:13 says it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. We believe it, we're going to say it. It's going to direct the words of our mouth, the things that we care about, the things we're thinking about. And so what happened here? Well, the purpose and the result of persecution, you know, we see it as a terrible thing and it is terrible, but God can use it to to share his message of truth and hope and love and salvation, forgiveness. God uses persecution. He uses the unwavering faith, the conviction, the commitment of Christians. And even when Christians are scattered, he uses it to show that his word is true, that his promise is real, his salvation is real, that he is present in the hearts and lives of believers. He shows that in the middle of the persecution. It's like I talk about when you're stressed, when you're squeezed, what comes out of you is what's inside of you. And if you're pressed and you are a faithful follower of Jesus, then what's going to come out of you is going to be faith. It's going to be hope. It's going to be love. All the good things that God pours inside of us through his spirit. And through persecution and through our commitment, God is going to show that he is real, that he really can save, that he really fills us with hope and with power to live forever. And I'm even thinking, you know, this that I'm recording today, who knows, but that one day in a year, two years, three years, that somebody hears this. And we are in even a a situation in our world where there's even more intense persecution. And so that's possible. Like, I, I just want to encourage you. Stand strong in your faith. Don't cower. Don't waver. Don't back down. Okay? Um, They thought they were going to wipe out the spread of Christianity, but God used them instead to scatter the church around the world and share the message wherever they went. And when we suffer ourselves, we are witnesses to the world. And that is a testimony of the depth of our faith and what we really believe. In Philippians 1.12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay, all that you go through, how does it advance the gospel? It advances the gospel when you hold on to your faith. You learn, you grow, you share. Okay, Jesus said this, Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In fact, Jesus says, you'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And a lot of times we think, oh, as Christians, we just want everybody to love us and to like us and and you know we're going to be uh, liked because we're so nice. Well, that's not what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, no, if you stand for the truth and you stand for my word, you stand for me, people are going to hate you. The world is going to hate you. But when you stand firm to the end, you know that you will be saved. And then in uh, Philippians 1, 28, Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God, that by God, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Okay. I mean, people, it freaks people out. You're going to stand in courage when you're being threatened. You're going to trust in God. But we have lost the, the, the idea that it's important to also suffer for Jesus. Not that we go out and we look for, for uh, persecution or for suffering. We don't want that. But when it comes, we know, hey, I'm participating in the suffering of Jesus. First uh, Peter 4.14, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Okay, persecution can take all different forms. Okay, it can be abuse. It can be violence. It may happen at work. It may happen at home. It may happen at school, um, in your hobbies, even at church. Persecution can take place. Um, you can lose your job. You can lose your ability to, to make money, provide for your family. Um, but whatever it is, God will use it to further his message and bring him glory when you're faithful and strong. I want to close with this uh, ancient story, this old story. And this is uh, at the time of the New Testament, but, but following. This is following the New Testament one of uh, John's disciples, his name was Polycarp, and he was killed for his faith in Smyrna. He's probably one of the most famous martyrs of the church, but he was faithful to the end, and his dying words were this. He says, I have served Jesus for 86 years, and he has done me no wrong. How can I speak evil of my king who saved me? Well, the Romans, they threatened to throw him to the lions, but Polycarp wouldn't budge. They threatened him with fire, but he wouldn't back down. Polycarp responded to them with, you're threatening me with fire that burns for a short time and then is quenched, but you don't know about the fire of the future judgment and eternal punishment that is reserved for those without Christ. What are you waiting for? Do with me what you will. Finally, they, they started yelling, Polycarp has claimed to be a Christian. And the shout came back from the whole stadium, burn him alive. And in minutes they gathered wood and the old bishop was tied to the stake. And soon the flames engulfed his body and he was gone. And he stayed faithful all the way till death. Listen, the, the purifying fire of persecution enables and causes the lamp of our testimony to shine that much brighter. Listen, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Uh, think about it. What are you threatening me with? When you threaten me with my life, you're threatening me with heaven, okay? Paul says to, to live as Christ, to die is gain. The enemy can take your body, but he can't take your soul. You don't have to be afraid of the ultimate fires of, of, of uh, judgment, which is hell, 
okay? I like to say it this way. If you die before you die, then when you die, you won't die, okay? If you're born twice, you will only die once. If you're born only once, you will die twice. I guess maybe you need to think about what I'm saying. Let me reverse that. If you're only born once, you die twice. You're born naturally. But if you're born twice, you're born again. You will only die once. And then comes everlasting life, uh, real life in heaven with God. Today, Jesus is calling us to be faithful to him, to stand firm in our faith, in the face of fear, in the face even of fire. We're going to stand secure in him, stand firm in him. And I want to encourage you, whatever it is you're facing today, big or small, big or small, um, again, Jesus is not, um, it's not so much uh, of the question, will I, am I willing to die for Jesus? The question today in our lives is, am I willing to live for Jesus? Am I willing to stand for him in those small decisions? Those things that they really don't cost us all that much. Sometimes we waver. We want to stand secure. If you're saying I'm willing to die for him, that means you're willing to live for him. So I want to encourage you to do that today. Let's pray together. And I want to pray for you. And thank you for joining me, God. I thank you so much for those who are listening. God, give us courage. Give us great uh, um, just conviction and boldness to be able to share your love, your truth, uh, your heart, your, your gospel with the people around us today. We pray that your kingdom would grow, God, even in the face of a culture that is uh, increasingly turning their back on you. God, help us to stand strong, to point the way to you, to give you glory with our lives. We pray and we thank you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Have a blessed uh, rest of the week, and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast. Connect.